Let's pray. Father, your word is anointed. And I just pray, Lord, as my heart is so full for what you're giving me, what you're doing in our church family, may we hear today with our hearts. May we hear today with our hearts. I come every Sunday with just feel like the little boy that brought his lunch when you were speaking to the thousands and you took that five loaves and two fish. You fed the whole crowd and there were 12 baskets full left over. I don't know how you do that. And no matter how studied we are, how much we think our sermon's impressive, it's still just five loaves and two fish unless you show up and touch it and you anoint it. So we just invite you, Holy Spirit, right now to come from the front row to the back, on the main floor and the balcony, and everybody listening online, we just ask that you would anoint us, Lord, to receive your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen? I want to talk to you about what I'm calling Vertical Church 2.0. Um, many of you have been through our one of our classes that's kind of core to finding out who we are and what we stand for, how we do church. Vertical Church is... It's a great experience. It's a book I read about five years ago, and um, it profoundly impacted me, so much so that I flew to Chicago and met with the author and shook his hand and told him that that book saved my pastoral ministry. And I wasn't being melodramatic or um, patronizing. It really did. It saved my pastoral ministry because... Um, it was a little more than five years ago because, in fact, this month is five years ago since I got back into being a pastor staff member and became the lead pastor here at Restoration. So it was about six years ago. And um, the book is Vertical Church. You see it. The signs are everywhere. We talk about it a lot. And um, once or twice a year, the last five years, I've preached this sermon or a version of it that just calibrates us and helps everybody stay on page about where we are. Horizontal church, the reason I've kind of been given up on the traditional Western model of doing church is it was just so shallow, it was powerless, there wasn't a lot of transformation happening in the church or through the church. And I know there are exceptions, but by and large, that was the case. And I've been around North Atlanta since 1989, so I've, I know church trends on this side, in, in the South. And um, I just... Horizontal church is it's a business model for doing church. What do people like? How can we get more clients? What do people like and what do we need to do to get people to come? And how can we get them to stay? And that's what horizontal church is. Um, you grow your crowd. You may not necessarily grow the kingdom because to preach the truth Sometimes it's not what people want to hear, so they may not come or come back. And if our goal is to, to build a big crowd, which for the last 30 years, since the 80s, um, and church growth movement, the whole idea for the Western culture was let's, let's grow a big crowd. Bigger buildings, bigger budgets, yada, 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 yada. And we now have 35, 40 years of just kind of the church drifting into almost a place of ir irrelevancy. I read this book, and, and I'm, I was so thankful for it. I found myself weeping as I was reading it. And I flew to Chicago to tell the author how much I appreciated it. And um, because the question he asked is what the Bible says the church should do. And we, ask, we should be asking ourselves a question. What does God like? 
How do we get him to come? And before you go, really, Pastor Chuck, you think God comes? Oh, yes. And, and let, me, let me just stop right here and say, you know, a lot of us don't have an idea of what the church is supposed to be because we've not experienced it. In fact, most people don't. I think one of the beautiful things about what's happening around here is I hear people say about what God is doing at Restoration. He's showing up. People are being changed. There's a lot of love. We feel his presence. And people are, going, are saying this to me. Pastor Chuck, this is the way church is supposed to be. I'm like, you're telling me? I'm like, no, I know that. This is why five years ago, when I started preaching this message, Vertical Church, we had about 150 people, give or take 25. And um, I preached it for about two years, pretty much over and over in different ways. And we modeled, we talked about worship and the whole thing, the concept of how do we get God to come? What does, what, what does he value? And how, how do we, once he comes, how do we get him to stay? And we preached that. Many of you remember, it was about two years and we had to deal with some stuff. There was some immorality. There were some things that we had to, the Lord led us and he uncovered and exposed. And we had a choice, either sweep it under the rug and we, we forfeit his glory and we keep, you know, just kind of going through the motions, attracting people as best we can, or we deal with it. And in dealing with it, you don't get bigger. You get smaller first and then hopefully his glory comes and his glory came. And we, we've been on a three-year-plus run of just, I think everybody knows that God's showing up here. And he's transforming us. We feel his love. It changes us. It makes our fellowship meaningful more than a Zig Ziglar, John Maxwell, hey, how do we bless everybody? And, and I'm not against all that. But what God's doing here is so much more profound. And it's beautiful. And we, in Vertical Church, we ask ourselves the question, how do we get God to come? What does he value? And what does he want to do when he comes? And how do we keep him coming? And you look in the scripture throughout the Old Testament and the New, but especially in the Old Testament, where 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6, and then verse 11, Paul says it again. That stuff that happened in the Old Testament is for our examples. Don't come up with some new trendy church way to do church in the new millennium. Keep doing it the old way. Why? Because that's God's way. And God's way is the only way that works. Can I get a witness? And so we're on a run now. And now our goal, and this, why am I preaching this right now? Because just last Sunday, having, um, I just, I, we don't talk about numbers around here, about crowds. But I do this because I want you to be accountable, and I want you to know I'm accountable to you. You know, last Sunday we had 2,141 people attend those four services. And I know some served, and some were here two services. But regardless, it was like in one Sunday we broke our record attendance in almost 80 years of this church by 800 people and we could sit here and go that's awesome look at us or we could revisit how did we get here or better yet how did God get us here because it's not so much now God 
We want your glory to come. It's how can we steward what's here? And if you miss steward, I don't know if that's a word. Sounds like somebody that works for Delta, Miss Steward. Um, it should be Mr. Steward and Miss Stewardess. Is that right? But in today's world, it probably works. You just choose your pronoun. Um, um, in the, if you don't treasure God's presence, it can kill you. Now, it, in the New Testament, thank God that veil's been torn. It doesn't kill you, but it can kill you still. We'll see in the story I'm going to read. Your children can die spiritually. And your lineage of spiritual blessing can stop. Just like it did in the Old Testament. And so, as we gather, you know, we, we come to just say together. It's not about crowds. It's not about any of that stuff. And I'll be honest with you. you people are asking me, you know, what are we going to do? You know, is there any property left? Can we build somewhere? And I, hear me. I, I'm, I want you to hear me. I've told you, I'm never going to be on a video screen in another place. I don't believe that's how God does church. Um, I don't want to relocate. I don't want to build. I don't know what we'll do. And I tell God this. God, you got us in this predicament, and I'm going to trust you to keep us. You can laugh, but I tell him that. This is your fault, God. And, you, you know, it's your reputation. You know, and you know what? I don't stress, strive. I'm not trying to figure out where, whose church, where can we move? It's not about that. I'm trying to do this. God, how can we keep your presence? Because Moses said in Exodus 33, God, I can see the promised land. But if you're not going with us, we'd rather stay right here on this mountain in the desert than go in there without you. And lo and behold, they went in there without, with his presence, and then they lost it. How many of you just want his presence? Come on. Not just in your life, not just here on Sundays, but you want his presence in your family, in your home. And so that's our setup this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, you can see this second verse on the wall up there. You're getting ready to see it under the portico. There's, they're getting ready to enlarge the, uh, the lobby there's going to be a beautiful wall that's a statement when you come into the church. And it's verse 21. It's on that back wall in the lobby already. So this is what Paul says. Don't miss this. He's talking about church life. He says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. Wow. According to what? The power that is already at work. Where? Within us. And then this Verse 21 is our theme verse for Vertical Church. To him be glory in the church. Can we read that together? To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. I could talk about all generations. How many of you want an Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob anointing on our church? That our children and our children's children and our children's children's children will have to figure out what to do with the crowds. How many of you want that kind of anointing? Come on, somebody. Because that's God's plan. He's always, listen, wanting to do something in our generation that impacts the next two. Amen? So to him, to you, Father, be glory in the church. May no flesh glory in your presence. May no 
person or personality. No leader get your glory. May they not even touch your glory, Lord. And I, before these people, Lord, I pledge to reflect your glory, Lord, to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory, Lord. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. So in a vertical church, before we jump into that, you'll see on the wall out there, we are a vertical church, which I just described what that is. I'll come back to it in a second. We're a biblical church. And you go, well, you're a Christian church. Of course you're a biblical church. No, we like encourage people to bring their Bibles to church. We encourage people to go home and search the scriptures and see, was Pastor Chuck correct in the way he used that verse? We're a biblical church. Can I get a witness? And we're a spirit-filled church. We're a New Testament church. Pentecostal, charismatic, full gospel. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are for today. If you say no to the Holy Spirit, you say no to the supernatural. And we say yes to the supernatural and yes to miracles. But we, do, we are a Holy Spirit-filled church, but we don't do crazy. A couple weeks ago, I described what crazy is. Crazy is when someone is operating in the Spirit and they're operating in a way that draws attention to themselves, whether they realize it or not. They become the focus. Crazy is when um, they're doing it in such a way that creates distraction. And, and so when we say we don't do crazy, the third thing is that we are not into emotionalism, hyper-emotionalism. Holy Spirit will make you emotional, but we don't get emotional so that we can get the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes and touches hearts, and you may cry or laugh or smile or clap or raise your hands. But we do that in response to the Holy Spirit, not to fake it in such a way to create some false sense of hype. Everybody picking up what I'm putting down? All right. Third, uh, fourthly, we are a next-generation church. We believe, you've heard me talk about that ad nauseum, next-generation, focused, and we put our money where our mouth is. Our, our, it, that's the, one of the main things of the church besides seeking him and his glory is caring for our children, making sure, Ephesians 6, 4, to raise them in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And then number five is um, we're a missions church. And we give hundreds of thousands of dollars and we want to give a million dollars. Our budget this year has us giving away $500,000 in missions outside of this church. And so that's who we are. Now, let's, what's a vertical church? There are four components to a vertical church. The first is unashamed adoration. It's worship. Um, it's not music, it's not entertainment, it's worship. Now everybody look right here. And you don't get to determine what worship is. I don't either. The God that you worship determines what worship is, how you'll worship that God. And God tells us that we, all through scripture, what it is to worship him. And so we lift our hands, we bow our hearts, we lift our voices, we clap our hands. And you go, well, that's not my style. Well, that's the Bible style, and you may not be worshiping. You don't get to come and go, Pastor Chuck, you, during worship, you're injuring my pride. I'm not trying to injure your pride. We're trying to kill your pride. <laughs> Seriously. Because you can't come to him unless you come humbly before him. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's true. 
And, but what will I look like? Don't worry about it. In a vertical church, nobody's going to notice you unless you're doing something out of order. You know? Are y'all out there? You, well, that's not how. Yeah, it is. You worship golf? Do you worship golf? Well, you got to pay $140 to play around somewhere around here. Well, I, I'm a bulldog. Well, SEC football can be a god. And is for many people. And it tells you how you have to worship. You know, for some people, they have to paint all self humans, dressing all up like a painted dog. And barking. Some of y'all bark louder over in Athens than you worship here in Alpharetta. That's called idolatry. Yes, I did say it. It's the truth, though. You know, well, you want to really, you want to worship Georgia football at its highest level? Then you got to put out 2500 bucks get yourself one ticket or your business is going to have to get a tax donation. You, you know what I'm saying? The God you worship determines how you will worship him or her. And God tells us how we will worship and what worship is. And many of us, we know what the trend is, but we don't know what real worship is. The Bible tells us that. I mean, what I'm saying good, have I said too much already? Y'all ready for me to sit down? How many of you wives are thanking God Pastor Chuck's talking to your husband about all those idolatrous ways he's got? Don't say it too loud. We'll keep, we'll, next year at the women's retreat, I'll be with you again. We'll work it out. We'll strike a deal. Second thing in a vertical church is unapologetic preaching. And we value the word. Oh, I could say a ton about this. But listen, unapologetic preaching, it's not right-wing old white man religion. It's not conservative ideology. When you preach from the word, sometimes you will affirm what old white men in the South believe. And sometimes you will step on their toes or stomp on their toes. And you will challenge them and young African-American, Latinos. We don't come to offend anyone. We don't come to appease anyone. We come to preach the word of God because we value the word. Oh, I could go on and on and on. And, and how many of you, you've come to this church. You kind of like the people, but you want to hear the word of God. You like getting his presence, but getting in his presence without hearing the word is like the children of Israel who went halfway up the mountain and stopped. And God said to Moses, no, come all the way to the top. And when he went all the way to the top, what did God do? He took his finger and wrote on two rocks. He spoke the first Bible ever written, the Ten Commandments. A lot of people go halfway up the mountain. But God wants us to come all the way up the mountain. Listen, and when you worship, come all the way up the mountain, and then you hear the word, when you go back down, your face will just illuminate what God, the transformation of what God does in your life. And Sunday mornings are supposed to be that. We go all the way up the mountain and we hear the word and we watch God take his finger and write on our stony, cold hearts his word. And then when we leave on Monday morning, people are like, what is that? That's the glory of God. And we're prettier and more handsome than if we hadn't heard the word. Can I get a witness? Come on, somebody say amen. I'm preaching the truth this morning. Thirdly, unceasing prayer. We pray all the time around here. 
We never miss our Tuesday corporate prayer or Saturday, whether it's New Year's or July 4th or Christmas Eve. We never miss it. And you're invited Tuesdays from 6 to 7. Listen, it's the engine of the church. If we don't pray, we don't have a ministry. Prayer is the ministry. Can I get a witness? If you pray, you win. You don't, you lose. So we, we pray. On, I did, yesterday, I left to come the women's morning and started yesterday. Just all the way in my car, I was overwhelmed with, my, with the presence of the Lord. Just praying unceasingly. Praying in the Spirit. Praying in English. Just thanking God. Was yesterday morning just beautiful? You didn't wake up going, oh, God, thank you. You are so awesome. And we pray all the time. Fourthly and lastly, in a, a vertical church, we are unafraid witnesses. Now, if God shows up, you won't have to tell people to tell others. You won't have to have an evangelism explosion training session. You won't have to teach people how to witness. When you see God begin to move and trans lives, you are a witness, and you're not going to be able to keep that a secret. How many of you love for God to do something so amazing in our church family this year that you can't help but tell everybody about it? We got nine people, and I knew Enoch would be one of them, but how many of you? Everybody hear me. That's God's plan. I was at uh, Publix yesterday, and JP and I were getting a sub, and I left, and the I'm always looking for a way in, and the, uh, it was a sweet African-American lady, and her name was Mimi, bagging my groceries. She came up, and I said, Mimi, that sounds like family, and she smiled. I said, we might be related, <laughs> and the, the other lady was an African-American lady, and she smiled, and all of a sudden, we have a conversation going, and uh, I said, do you know the Lord? She said, in fact, oh, no, I said, uh, I was saying something, and you know, and she goes, you better preach. And I said, <laughs> I said, I do preach right down the street about a half a mile away on the left, Rucker Road. She said, do you? I said, I do every Sunday. I said, I just left church. I said, you know the Lord? She said, you know I do. I said, well, we're not related. We're brother and sister. We're not cousins. And she said, you know what? I'm going to come. If you're here, Mimi, identify yourself. If you're not... It happens all the time. And then people, I invite people everywhere. And when they come, they'll stand in line down here. They go, you didn't tell me you were the pastor. I said, well, if I'd have told you I was a pastor, you would have thought, no wonder he's inviting me to his church. You know what? May, may, may this place become so stinking contagious, like no church you've ever experienced where God gets all the credit, all the honor, all the glory, and the people are so incredibly in love with him, and therefore they love each other. And this is the worst place for Satan to let a sinner come, 410 Rucker Road. If they pull on the parking lot, that just, it's over, it's over. Are y'all out there? Hey, listen. Oh, I got to move on. I got three pages, and I'm right there on page one. Lord Jesus. So that's what a vertical church is. The glory of God, his presence. Presence-driven ministry. Not program-driven ministry. We have programs. And we're trying to keep up with the growth and keep them structured. And we want to be organized and orderly. 
You know, we, we have insurance. But the ministry is presence-driven, not personality-driven. I want to encourage you, if you ever move from here, do like the couple two weeks ago who said, we're getting ready to move from bindings. We want to get out further away. And before we move, we're trying to find our church so that we can find our church and know where we need to move to. If you ever move here, find yourself a church because you've got to have a church that is presence-driven. Come on, somebody. Are y'all tracking with me? Lord, we value your presence, Lord. Now, I want to go to the story in the Old Testament that is the antithesis of vertical church, why we need it. And I'll just give you the word. It's where the baby was born and they named the baby Ichabod. Ichabod means the glory has departed. God is not present anymore. And so I want to take a look at that. And I just remind you, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 6 and 11. Paul says, these things in the Old Testament, they happened for our examples. In verse 11, Paul says, now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages have come. So everybody listen, this story from thousands of years ago, it's important for us and we need to understand it. Because here in these last days, there's truth. We can learn from their example things we need to know for now. Now, everybody track with me, okay? I'm, I, don't, I didn't come with a popsicle this morning. We're going to go a little deep. So you got to follow along with me. So this is the, the last five chapters of the book of Judges. Judges, Ruth, 1 Samuel. We're going to take our text from 1 Samuel. But listen, what's happening there? The last, try it with me. Remember, the people of Israel said, we want a king like all the other nations. We want somebody in the White House. We need a king like, and God was like, no, I want to be your king. I'll live among you if you worship me. And they're like, no, we want a king. He's like, all right, I'm going to give you a king, but you're going to regret it. And then the whole book of Judges after 1st, 2nd Kings, judges, the, the kings were immoral. Um, the people of God followed immorally. And then listen, judges comes on, and it's that transitional season. And listen, the people of God, the Israelites, the last five chapters of the book of Judges is like the dark, one of the darkest passages in all of Scripture. And it ends, verse 25 of Judges 21, it says, every man did what was right in his own eyes. How many of you know that sounds like we're living right now? Okay, so it's a dark, dark period of history. And then comes the four little chapters of the book of Ruth at the same time of those dark years of history, those five dark chapters. And here comes Ruth, a Moabitess woman who marries a Jewish boy and he dies. And then she can stay in her Moabite country when her mother-in-law says, I need to go back and be with my people. It's a long story. And, and Ruth, instead of going, you know what, this, 
I'm more comfortable. These are my people. She's, it's where we get the beautiful line where she said, no, where you go, I'm going. Your people are going to be my people. And Ruth goes in that dark period of history, spiritual darkness, and God miraculously brings her. She has integrity. She's a hard worker. She's out in the field. And Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, she gets married again. It's an amazing story. And then Ruth, in this dark season of history, she becomes the great-grandmother of who? King David, who the promise was his line, the Messiah will come. Ruth, in that dark period of history, Ruth is widowed, hopeless. All she's got is a mother-in-law, and she moves to a foreign land. But she has integrity and chooses the right thing. And God gives her David. And it's in this next passage of Scripture, in 1 Samuel, so everybody see what's going on in Dark. But God has a little widowed woman. You single women, don't stop giving up hope. It's like, oh, I could get in trouble, but I'll blame this on Jensen Franklin, Candace's first cousin. Wait for your Boaz, not some lazy ass. Not some sorry ass. Y'all tracking what I'm saying? I didn't say that to quote one of Candace's family members. But it's the truth. It's the truth. Some of y'all are going to Google that right now. It, it wasn't original. It wasn't original with him either, but he preached it at John Hagee's church, and John Hagee turned eight shades of red while he was doing it. And Jensen hadn't gone back to preach there since. But my, my point is, and then here comes Judges. I'm, I'm sorry, 1 Samuel. Now, here's the characters in the story. Eli, the priest, he has two sons, Hophni and Phinehas. So Eli is now the spiritual leader in this dark season of history. And he's got two sons who were corrupt. And the other person in this story is Hannah. Listen, in that dark period of history, God works with a widowed woman and now Hannah, a barren woman, who cries out and God gives her a son, Samuel. Now, the other thing in this story is you have to understand the ark. The ark is the presence of God, four feet long, two feet high, covered in pure gold, two angels, listen, on top of it, and where their wings come up, Right there, kind of glory, there was a blue, like, literal flame where, listen, God was saying, in all the earth, that is where my presence dwells. Now, the beauty is, in all the earth now, this is where his presence dwells. You are the temple of God. But at that time, the presence of God was in the ark. And you had to be careful how you carried it. The ark was a serious deal. If we have the ark, God's presence, his blessing, his favor, then we're going to win against whoever we, are, we battle and fight, and what, whoever the war is against. If we, listen, put that in 2022. If we have God's presence, we win. We are indestructible. Are y'all out there this morning? Now, so, oh, Help me, Jesus. The ark, if you're talking about steward, stewarding God's presence, 
the ark, if you touched it, you died. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 6 and 11. If you looked at the ark the wrong way, you died. 1 Samuel 6, verse 19 and 21. If the godless got near the ark, they experienced anxiety. Wouldn't you love in our world for the godless culture that we're dealing with, for God's church to be so full of his presence that the enemy goes on the run and he's the one who begins to quake? Don't look at me like, oh, Pastor Chuck, you believe all that Bible stuff. Yes, I do. That's why I'm up here holding the microphone. I believe all of it. If God could get his house, the church, filled with his glory again, it wouldn't matter what's going on in the White House. The White House would be answering to the church house. But too many of us get too caught up in fixing the White House. And, and God's saying, if you'll fix my house, my house is the house the enemy will not prevail against. The gates of hell won't hold it back. Come on, if you're going to praise the Lord, praise him. If the godless got near the ark, they broke out in tumors. I can see some people I'd like to see get tumors in the name of Jesus. In love, of course. 1 Samuel chapter 5, verse 8. And then the temple was incomplete. It, the temple was just another building until Solomon brought, had the ark brought in. 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. All right, so we've got Eli the priest and his two crooked boys. The apples fell right under the tree. And we have Hannah in this dark, barren. And she's married to a prideful as. And he says, why do you want children? Isn't being married to me better than having ten sons? How many of you are glad now you're thankful, more thankful for the man you did marry? And she said, no, it's not better than ten sons. In fact, I would choose one right now. She had no children. She prayed in the temple in 1 Samuel chapter 1. She poured out her heart so fervently and passionately to God. Listen, where Eli the priest hadn't seen that kind of sincere, authentic worship in so long, if ever, he accused her of being drunk. And that's what happens. Same thing happened in Acts chapter 2, remember? And so she pours her heart out. And in verse 20 in chapter 1, it says, And in due time, Hannah, the barren woman, conceived and bore a son, and she called him Samuel. I'm just going to skip over a whole lot of good preaching material, the meaning of Samuel's name. And so she says, God, if you'll give me a boy... I will give him back to you. And this is where we learn and why we dedicate babies when they're born. And she keeps her word. And as soon as he is weaned, he's still a young little fella. She takes him back to the house of the Lord with the crooked priest, Eli. The Bible says, verse 24, and the child was young. And look what it says in verse 27, 28, 1 Samuel. She said, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. Brothers and sisters, give your children over to the Lord, completely over to the Lord. How many of you say, I did it once, and I've learned I have to do it over and over and over. Amen? But that's what we give them to the Lord. 
The next chapter, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, There is none holy. She gets that baby and she gives him back to the Lord. And this is her prayer. I'm skipping over a whole bunch of stuff. But verse 9, she goes, Lord, there is none holy like you. For there is none beside you. There is no rock like our God. And she prays and worships. She said, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness. For not by might shall a man prevail. And then, put this in 2022. She says, The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Brothers and sisters, this could turn into a two-hour sermon. Pray that it doesn't. Because I'll have to finish it next week, I know. But put yourself... Here's a barren woman. I just got my first baby boy. I, I, I probably shouldn't have promised that I'd give him back to. But I did, and I'm bringing him back. But now that in worshiping and giving you my only son, in faith, she begins to pray and worship and prophesy. Put yourself in 2022 and hear her say verse 10. There's no signs of spiritual renewal. All I have is a little boy you gave me. And she invests in worship. And this is what worship will do. She says, because of what I'm doing, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. She doesn't know. Years later, Samuel would be the one to be anointed to go to Jesse and say, David, that's the one that's going to, that's the next king. She didn't know all that, but she prays and worships. In verse 10, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Oh, i got to say it again for 2022. Against them, God will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of the anointed. Verse 12, look what it says. Now the sons of Eli, they were worthless men. Worthless men is like, that. that's, the Bible sometimes isn't even like, no beating around, I mean, they were worth less, no good. And yet they had a role in ministry in the church. They did not know the Lord. Ah, oh, but they were, they were junior priests. The custom of the priest with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, can I just stop a second and say, that's the problem. The custom of the tradition, some translations say, of the priest was not biblical, but they were doing it. There was a new habit that began to form. And so often our traditions and customs that are not built on the word, that they become our downfall. And look what it was. It was a selfish, prideful, I'm going to dip my hand in the till. The custom of the priest, verse 13, with the people was that when any man offered sacrifice, the priest's servants would come. While the meat was boiling with a three-pronged fork in his hand, and he would thrust it into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. All that the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. Moreover, not only that, he was just coming in and taking the burnt the offering. Moreover, before the fat was born, the priest, he would be so lazy, he'd just send one of his hirelings. They would come and say to the man who was sacrificing Give meat for the priest to roast, for he will not accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. And if the man said, back to the king's, the priest's servant, let them burn the fat first and then take as much as you wish, the priest's servant would say, no, give it to him now, and if not, I will take it by force. 
Thus the sin of the young men was very great in the sight of the Lord. For the men treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. So this is, a, this is the immorality. The, we're taking shortcuts in the church. We've got new traditions. There's a new trend. The priest gets to do what the priest wants to do. Now, verse 22 says, Eli was very old and he kept learning all that his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept with or lay with the women who were serving at the entrance to the tent of meeting. And he said to them, Why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all these people. My sons, no, it is no good report that I hear the people of the Lord spreading abroad. And he had no authority. And look what it says. But they would not listen to the voice of their father. Verse 30, but now the Lord declares, for those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days are coming when I will cut off your strength and the strength of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. Listen, this is, the prophet, this is God saying to Eli, I'm getting ready to, to take your priestly heritage from you and your boys. Verse 34, and this that shall come upon your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, shall be the sign to you. Both of them shall die on the same day, and I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house, and he shall go in and out before my anointed forever. Look what the next chapter opens up with verse 1, 1 Samuel 3. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Everybody listen. Oh, Lord, help me. When the word of the Lord is not being preached, the people of the Lord become unfamiliar with the ways of the Lord. And therefore, vision or destiny or hope. Listen, this is not like dreamy stuff. When the word of the Lord is not being preached, the people of the Lord can't see the vision in the darkness of what the Lord can do in the darkness. Are y'all out there? And so this is why we must preach and declare the word of the Lord. So that when we declare the word, you can get Holy Spirit inspired visions of what God can do in your marriage with your children. So there's no word, no preaching, no unapologetic declaration of the word of God. Look what the next chapter says this. First verse. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Everybody look here. This is our world. Those two verses. The people aren't getting the word and then they go out into battle. How many of you know if we go out into battle without the sword of the spirit, the word of God, we're already defeated. We don't have enough amens. I'm going to pause or say it one more time. If we're, this is why on Sundays, if we don't get the word, we go out on Monday, we're already defeated. How many of you now want the word? Nothing but the word. The whole word. Amen. In chapter 4, the Israelites go out against their arch enemy, the Philistines. They lose 4,000 men, and then they say, hey, you know what? Somebody go get the ark. And they carelessly think, they begun treating the presence of God, the ark, like a rabbit's foot. And so they go, hey, yeah, uh, somebody go get the ark. And they go get the ark. 
And then there's a shout in the camp, and it's a false worship. It's a hoorah! And there are a lot of sounds that are not real worship. And it didn't mean anything or account for anything. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 10 and 11. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated, and they fled, every man to his home. And there was a very great slaughter, for 30,000 foot soldiers of Israel fell, and the ark of God was captured. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Look at what verse 17 and 18 says. He who brought the news. So look, this is the report coming back from the battle to Eli. And the reporter says, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has also been a great defeat among the people. Cha-ching, look. Your two sons also, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. As soon as he mentioned the ark of God, Eli fell over backward from his seat by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died, for the man was old and heavy. The spiritual leader was out of shape, and he was old. It's one thing to be old. It's another thing to have a, to be 75 and a young 75. He was old and out of shape. And he just gets the report. Both of your sons are dead. And that wasn't the worst part of it. When the reporter said, both of your sons are dead, and they took the ark. That's what killed him. That's what caused him to fall over backward. Now let me move quickly. Um, so what happens? One of the son's wife is pregnant. She hears the report. Her baby's daddy is dead. And the ark is gone. And she goes into a premature labor. Dies having the baby. And they name the baby what? Ichabod. Please hear me. I'm, I've got to distill this down so I can let you out on time, but please hear me. Ichabod, without the glory, without the presence, Ichabod. May God not birth any Ichabods. May God birth at restoration. When I think he did several years ago, a baby named Kabod. The glory is full. Y'all out. What's the difference? It's, it's the history. It's the, the pastor that stands and says, I want to tell you something. I've been wanting to share these thoughts with you on Sunday morning. I, 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 me, 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 my, my, my. I kabod. Get rid of the I and let the Kabods be born in our ministries. Are y'all out there picking up what I'm putting down? James McDonald says, when there's real humility and genuine worship from broken people, God relishes the environment and stuffs it with his glory. I love that. Can we just pause and just thank God for that? Now, let's go back to where we started. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, amen. Now look here, brothers and sisters. Oh, um, 
the ark, A-R-K, in the Old Testament were two of them. One was God's presence. The other one was the one Noah built, right? And the ark that Noah built is the picture of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's also a picture of the church in the New Testament, the body of Christ. I'm moving fast. Y'all still with me? And the ark, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7 says, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his, come on, to save his family. I think the calling that we have right now is to steward God's presence that he might through us build an ark to save our families. Like, well, that's good for you, Pastor Chuck, but my child, my son's 27 years old and he's strung out. And it's all right. If we can get him here one time to see the glory, to see the Shekinah glory on the faces of the people. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Could, could God build an ark, a place, a church that has his transforming power like Moses come off and their face, our faces light up? Everyone needs an ark. Everyone needs to be a part of a spiritual family. I know many people struggle to find a spiritual family because there's honestly a lack of healthy biblical churches. But everyone needs a spiritual family. Everyone needs a shepherd. Everyone needs a covering. And your covering needs a covering. If you ever move away from here to find another church, find your church before you buy your home. Coming to a close in the next few minutes. <laughs> um, man, I have so much more to say. I just want to close by just saying this. You know, two of our, one of our sons get ready to graduate, and both of them have ministry hearts. And last Sunday, Banks is uh, 23, and he's the one that sang a few a couple months ago. And because he's seen so many ministries, ministers with growing churches fall in his generation. You know what he said to me? He said, Dad, what are you doing to ensure you're not going to have a moral failure? On one hand, it's sad that that's the world our kids have grown up in. It's not a matter of, is your new spiritual hero going to fall? It's a matter of when. And I, I, I was prepared to answer him. And I, I, I share the answer with you. And I'm just being fully transparent this morning. Because I think we're at a critical juncture. And I want us to not, let me tell you, I'd rather stay, whatever our number is now, God knows my heart, I'd rather stay right here with this number and have his presence than move across town in some 5,000 seat sanctuary and lose his presence. And it's not even a hard choice. We're, we're going to, we want his presence. And so when, when Banks asked me that, I said, Banks, I said, number one, you know, Mommy and I, our Joseph experience changed us. What we went through in our 40s, was, it was painful, it lasted a long time, and it wasn't fair. But God used it, and he, he got rid of us. And so banks, because of what we've been through, we can treasure what God's doing. And I said, Banks, the second thing is, I'm accountable. 
I have built-in systems of accountability. You may not even need to hear this, but I need to tell you this. You know, I have a bishop, Tom Madden, that I'm accountable to. He's accountable to our denomination. I have Pastor Mike Atkins that I reached out to this week. We're accountable to. We have a group of elders that, interestingly enough, just a week and a half ago at our April meeting, one of them asked one of those um, challenging questions where if we didn't have the loving, trusting, godly environment that we do, the leader would have felt like that might be coming from a place of personal attack. And that elder so gently asked the question and then even after the meeting and during the meeting, he kind of apologized for having to ask the question. And I said to him, I said, during the meeting and after, I said, never apologize for having to ask that we should feel comfortable asking that question because we're not a bunch of yes men and I want you to know we've got five elders and I know this year we plan to add at least two more because there's there are more elders in this church and I'm accountable to those elders and I'm accountable to you before the Lord and I want as much accountability in my life you can take my cell phone today. You could look through it. You could search my computer, my cell phone. I'm walking before the Lord best I can. I'm not perfect, so don't put me on a pedestal. But I want you to know, when my son asked me, how you and I said, thirdly, Banks, you know what? Again, y'all don't need to hear any of this, but this is counseling for me this morning. I said, Banks, I love mommy. I love mommy. Why are you bringing this up, Pastor? Because I come to close with this. If I had 20 more minutes, I'd preach a lot about this. Many of you, your first Sunday when we pray, I pray Isaiah 4 verse 5 over you. What's it say? The prophet says, I'm going to read exactly what it says, but God is saying, my desire is to establish my glory over your dwelling place, where you live. Look what he says here, Isaiah 4, verse 5. Then the Lord will create above every dwelling place. How many of you know you live in a dwelling place, right? The Lord will create over every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. For over all the glory there will be a covering. But look what it says, everybody, right here. The Lord will create first above every dwelling place where my people live, and then look what it says, secondly, and above her assemblies. You know what God is saying right here, what he says all through the word? If I can first get in the home and the marriage and the family, oh, I, want it, I want my glory there, and then my glory will be in the church. And we've gotten it backwards. My prayer and my commitment and my, listen, my challenge to each of you, sir, listen to me. Do whatever you got to do to make sure God's presence is welcome in your home. What we do on Sundays, if there's immorality, if there is stuff going on that we know displeases God, we deal with it. And I'm not saying we have any of that, but we have had in the past, and we've dealt with it. 
You do the same in your home. And watch God restore His glory in your home. Everybody hear me. i got to put eight minutes of preaching right here in 20 seconds. If you can get your home in order, His glory will come. And when His glory comes, you will be blessed. And may what happened at Restoration Church, your church, happen in your home. When we got things established, we began to pray. God sent his glory. And then look what happened. Who knows what he wants to do, but look what is happening. Hungry people are coming and worshiping. Miracles are happening. I wish I had five minutes to tell you two miracles this week. I don't. Just take my word for it and praise God for them. Amen. Come on, stand to your feet with me. We praise you, Lord. Father God, I just thank you for your word. I pray, Father, somehow, some way, may all that I shared from my heart, from your word, may we absorb and may it speak to us. And I pray that men, it'd be like if our HVAC went down in late August. We wouldn't wait two or three weeks until we got time to look at it or call someone or go see a counselor. No, we'd get on it right away. I pray in the name of Jesus, may men rise up as warriors, loving their wives, their children, declaring, as for me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. Every man that's here, if you would just lift your hands right now, would you just hold them out? I pray, Father, anoint, 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 anoint. May they put stakes in the ground like Candace and I did on the boundaries of our property with scriptures written on them. May they, they declare over their dwelling places, your glory is going to be welcome in the name of Jesus, we pray. Can everybody say amen? amen. Can we give God praise right now for the truth of his word in the name of Jesus? God bless you. Listen, as you leave this morning, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. May he fill your home with the richness of his presence. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a great afternoon.